Last week we said, hey Jude. Today we're going to talk about how Jude said, hey, don't make my religion bad. The healing place, the podcast where we examine the scriptures line by line, verse by verse, and ask ourselves what is happening here. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I am joined by our lead pastor here at the healing place, Pastor Scott, as we begin a journey through a small, tiny little chapter book called Jude. <laughs> I'm going to give a big shout out to uh, John Haru for posting an apologetics version of that song. <laughs> We're about to get copyright struck. Oh, uh, <laughs> boom. Hey, I didn't say any words. I didn't say anything. I just hummed. That's all I did. Oh, my goodness. Yes, that was uh, that was pretty awesome. If you guys <laughs> didn't see that link, uh, you need to go back and check out that link. I had forgotten about those guys, actually. Really? And we used to, late 90s, early 2000s, like we used to play that stuff all the time <laughs> before our youth services. Uh those guys were like the weird owl of Christ, uh, Christian music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I loved them. I played them all the time uh, when I was a kid's pastor. Yeah. Apologetics. Mm-hmm. X. X. Because <laughs> it was the 90s. Because <laughs> it was the 90s. All else fails put an X at the end. That's funny, man. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a really interesting dive here. Yeah. Um, and I think the portion we're going to deal with today is – uh, uh, pretty heavy, man. There's yeah. a lot of depth to it. Uh, we're probably not going to go as far as you could go. Uh, we only have a limited amount of time, and I'm sure there are people out there that want us to go in the national treasure part oh, of it and Nick Cage it and all that <laughs> stuff, but we're not going to do that. Oh, sorry. We're probably going to get copyright stricken for that. I think too. we'll be going that one. As long as I don't show the scenes, <laughs> we'll be good to go. <laughs> hey, we're just trying to lighten things up just a little bit because it, it's going to get heavy. Today. Yeah, it does get a little heavy, but yeah. we're going to deal with it in a way that's uh, joyful and it's all pointing to, to Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's jump into it, Pastor. All right, we're going to do uh, verse one and two. Right. All right. So um, Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called sanctified by God, the father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy peace, and love be multiplied to you. Awesome. Now, this is a pretty standard greeting for the ancient world. But what's interesting is here, um, Jude identifies himself as the the brother of James. And we talked about last week in the intro that through historical accounts and some uh, deductive reasoning, we go, this is actually Jude, the brother of James, the brother of Jesus. So this is actually a half-brother of Jesus. And yes. so, um, And not truly Jude. And there is there is some um, not contention, but there is some discussion between whether his name is actually Judas mm-hmm. or Judah. Right. Many believe that his name was Judas, and one of the reasons for the change to Jude was the implication that people would think that it was Judas who betrayed Jesus. Mm-hmm. So there is that implication. So many believe that in the translation they changed it to Jude because of that. Right. Um, there also could be. Um, an argument uh, made that it was changed from Judah to Jude to de-Jewify it mm. and to more uh, um, gen- make it more Gentile-friendly. More Greek. Because, again, there was still the whole mindset of the Jews killed Jesus, and so you see a very 
uh, Gentile-friendly mm-hmm. uh, translations of the Bible that right. take away the Jewishness, actually, yeah. of not only Jesus, but even those who had written letters. Right. So uh, it's not actually Jude. Right. It's either a Judas or, or Judah, which both of those things would make a lot of sense. Right. The reason why you would translate it to Jude instead of Judas, especially with the connotation that if this was the one who betrayed Jesus, people in those days would not have read it. Right. And and probably wouldn't have taken it as canon scripture. Well, and, and they made a distinction between uh, about Judas in, in the book of Acts. Luke says, you know, this is Judas, not Iscariot. That's right. You know, they're, they're pretty intentional about that because there is a connotation. Anytime you have that take place in this, that, that ramification of thing, you'll see that take place in history. We see that happen with uh, post-World War II. Yeah, I think in Scripture, in New Testament Scripture, I think there are six, maybe Judas's, uh, in in total, uh, not all Judas Iscariot. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> and again, I, I would see why they would do that, but I also think that takes away from the, the point of view of, we see Judas and he is this figure we look at, but at the same time, we need to see the Judas that was with Jesus, did demonstrate uh, mm-hmm. Miracle signs and wonders. He did works. He he did the works of Jesus. He he preached. He taught. He cast out demons. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no indication that he didn't. Right. Um, and the fact that at the end of his life he ended up the way that he did, I think that you know, ultimately it Jesus gives the indicator is that he had given his heart over to Satan completely. So it wasn't just a mistake. It wasn't just a sin. Right. It wasn't just a, a redemptive moment that he could have had with Jesus, but that he had genuinely given his heart over to, yeah. to Satan. Let me ask this. This is an interesting question. If we could speculate for a moment, why do you think Jude didn't identify himself as a sibling of Jesus? James doesn't do it either. James does the same thing. Yeah, there's a lot of opinions about this. There mm-hmm. are a ton of opinions. Right. It seems like the one that it leans to the most would be that uh, of humility. Mm-hmm. Um, that the the uh, earthly family lineage being in the family of Jesus was not as important as being a follower of Jesus as a disciple. Mm-hmm. And so the the mindset would have been not to put the focus on, I'm a half-brother of Jesus, but rather I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. that I have accepted Christ as my Savior. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I, I think it could go... A million different ways, but that seems to be the the intimation by most scholars. Right, is that of humility and putting more of a focus on mm-hmm. being a follower of Jesus than necessarily being in the earthly family of Jesus. Right, which I'm. I'm in, is that what you found? That's what I I, I found. And it's what I really believe. Also, it was a level of humility going. And plus, there's the idea of, if I come at if he were to go, I'm James or Judah, the uh, the brother of Jesus. That now puts things on him. That makes people go, "Oh, wait, you're." Yeah, you can become a focus of idolatry at right. that point. And yeah, it loses the fact of by calling him Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ. He's going. He's the Messiah. I'm just a guy here. Yep. This is. I'm. I'm in need of saving, just like you. I have no privilege. And in fact, we have history that shows that him and James were deniers of Jesus until the resurrection. Yeah, and and also the reason why he would have put James is James was. Would have been well known. Yeah. Well, James was the leader of the Jerusalem. Church. Yeah, and he would have been well respected. Um, and so, uh, again, his greeting is similar to those of Paul mm-hmm. uh, at times, even with the mercy and grace. And yet, he adds the word "multiplied," which it looks like that's a word in the in the original language, mm-hmm. "multiplied." So this uh, this 
almost this extra layer of of blessing that's coming with his greeting. And we take greetings for granted in the Word of God when we read them because they're not that big of a deal in, in our culture. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, how are you doing? Or if I say, hey, blessings be upon you, somebody doesn't go, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a, we just kind of pass by it. Mm-hmm. But in that day and time, greetings, salutations were huge. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were a big, big deal. And that's why, that's why I think Jesus makes such a big deal about it with the woman uh, in Simon the Pharisee's house. And he says, you haven't done any of the things that you're supposed to be doing. Like, you're supposed to wash my feet. You're supposed to anoint my head. You're supposed to give me a holy kiss. You didn't give me any of those things. You right. just passed right by it. It wasn't important to mm-hmm. you. Um, and so I, I think that when we read these things, we can just read right past it. Well, it gives us a connotation of the mindset of the, of the, of the writer to the, con- to the audience who's reading it. it. That's why those greetings are so important. Like I said, it is a, when he says blessing, he, that's him pouring out. Yep. I saw, and it's such a different mindset today. I was watching a, a video was talking about public speaking. They're saying that the best thing for you to do now for about public speaking is that when you've been introduced, you go to the pulpit or go to your platform and you don't greet people. You don't do your typical salutation. Hey, thanks for having me. Da, da, da. You pause for a second. You make eye contact almost in a let me create dominance. And then you start with what you got to do. <laughs> it's such a separation from the mindset of, hey, I want to have connection with you as yeah, a person. You're almost separating yourself from them immediately. Mm-hmm. And like you said, creating this place of dominance where you're you, but I'm me. Right. Whereas here, Jude, what he's done is he's gone, I'm a bondservant of Christ. Mm-hmm. I'm uh brother of James. And that idea of brother of James is putting him underneath James because everyone knows James is the head of the Jerusalem church. Yep. And he's like, I'm just Jude. I'm here under these authorities, but he's creating a, a connection with these individuals. Yeah, and we also see that you know he's writing to believers, mm-hmm. which is another important right thing. Is that a lot of times we forget that a lot of the rebukes that come in the scripture are to believers, not unbelievers. That's a big word right there. And uh, it, it uh, I think that we we in that we then forget the premise of someone who's an unbeliever or outside of the realm, like when we. Like there is an expectation of a believer. Mm-hmm. People don't want to believe that, but there is an expectation of a believer. Mm-hmm. Fruit in your life, mm-hmm. an actual love for Jesus. Right. Seems simple, but it's almost not a foregone conclusion in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so uh, it is important, especially with what he's going to talk about, that mm-hmm. we know that he is he is writing to believers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, verse three. Yep. All right. Beloved, and that's another word. <laughs> He's talking to believers. Yeah. How do we know that? Beloved. Right. You would not have called an unbeliever in those days beloved. Mm-mm. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. So many believe that he had a totally different letter in mind right. to write. Mm-hmm. And so he says, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, talking about common salvation in in Christ, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in, and this is a really key word here, in unnoticed, Mm. who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so Jude's dealing with this group of individuals. Uh, 
and it's interesting, like you said, that they've crept in unnoticed as a group of people, and they seem to have taken the grace of Jesus for granted to the point where they're like, well, there is no hell. There is no judgment. I can do whatever we want. We know today that this is the like the earliest forms of Gnosticism taking place in the early church mm-hmm. and where there is a level of you can do whatever you want to because it's all under grace. Um, what's concerning to me, and you brought it up, is that these people crept in unnoticed. Uh, now, there's some conversations to whether or not they were teachers or if they were just people in the congregation that had influence. And by congregation, I don't mean like what we have know today, but just the, the general body. Right. But my question for you, Pastor, is as a leader, what steps do you take to avoid having people creep into um, the stuff that you've been putting responsible of? Yeah, I you know, there's a that's there's a lot of layers to that. Right. But number one, starting with your own relationship with Jesus and the discernment in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's got to be number one. It can't just be someone who looks a certain way. Mm-hmm. Because, again, throughout Scripture, Jesus deals with the fact of judging the man by the outside, where he's like, I don't do that. I'm looking at the inside. Mm-hmm. Well, in order to look in the inside and know what's going on in the inside, you have to have a discernment in, in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You have to have discernment which comes from God, not just a gut feeling, but true, genuine spiritual discernment. Mm-hmm. And so... I think one of the ways that you avoid kind of uh, uh, being anxious all the time and being not on guard because we're supposed to be on guard, but being anxious at all time, waiting for the next, you know, shoe to drop or whatever. It's like if you're doing that all the time, you have no, you have no other space to just do what God's called you to do. So. I think it begin it begins with discernment. You have to have discernment. Discerning of people, discerning of motivations, discerning of spirits, plural, mm-hmm. um, which is listed in the gifts of the spirit. Uh, discerning of spirits, um, good, evil, being able to discern good and evil. That's New Testament teaching right there. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to discern motivation or motives. Mm. Uh, that's throughout the New Testament. Um the woman who's screaming out what she's saying about the apostles is true. Mm. She says it for three days. Yeah. But yet Paul stops it and rebukes her and casts a demon out of her. Mm-hmm. It's like what she was saying was true. Right. So how do you discern that if what she's saying is true? How do you know there's something wrong with that? Mm. Discernment, mm-hmm. a discerning of spirits. Right. What she was saying was true, yet the spirit behind it was not godly. And that's one of the ways that the enemy is is deceive. He deceives is that something can be good and can be spoken that's good, but the motivation of the heart behind it is evil. Mm. And that's how a lot of people are deceived, right? Because they don't have discernment. They hear something that sounds right, but they don't discern the motivation behind it. So they don't see the deception. They don't see the deception in it because the deception is not necessarily in the words, but in the heart. That's good. That's good. Um... I don't think I can add anything to that conversation because it really is a matter of deception or not deception, but discernment. Yeah. And also I think as a leader is like having people around, Mm. around you. And especially if you're, if you're responsible for like a, a class or a ministry or a church or, or whatever you may be leading is to have people around you who are sensitive in those areas, gifted in those areas, Mm -hmm. even people who uh, the world might call them security uh, the kingdom, I think we would probably call them readiness, you know, um, having those people in place 
not to grab every single person that just looks differently, but right. to be able to look, acknowledge through natural inclinations. Right. Right. So like if you're talking about firefighters and police officers and people, uh, you know, EMTs and people like that, well, they're trained to look for certain indicators. Mm -hmm. But those people in the spirit are are spiritually gifted to pick up on those things without even seeing an mm -hmm. indicator. They sense something. They mm -hmm. feel something. They discern something is not right. And then they open their eyes. So if you've got people who are trained in that mm -hmm. and people who are spiritually gifted in that, those two things, and if you've got somebody who's both, mm -hmm. That's just next level. <laughs> right. Because not only do they see it, but they sense it. Right. And so I think it's important. Again, I think discernment really covers a lot of it because you're even discerning when you're when you're using people who have been trained in certain areas to see certain things. Mm. And they begin now to use that gift for the body of Christ. Right. So good. All right. Cool beans. And I also think that's kind of what he's talking about is like, They've crept in unnoticed. That's why that word is such a big deal. And I think he's almost, if he's not rebuking them, he is warning them to go, something has happened and you guys have dropped your guard a little bit. And they've come in unnoticed. You guys didn't discern that. Right. And so I think there is some teaching to that as well that he's given. I can see that for sure. All right, verse 5. Uh, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, intimating that they've forgotten. Mm-hmm. Though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who do, did not believe. And the angels who do not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, so here... Jude's kind of Jude has a habit of giving uh, kind of a, a rapid fire of three things to describe a situation or people. And this is the first time that he does this. And he's he's giving the idea that these heretics um, are he's, he's describing what's going on with these heretics. And he's reminding, look, God has a he does judge the moral people. He does judge people and things are taking place. That's the whole idea is like, well, we can do whatever we want to. God won't judge us. And he's like, no, God has a history of judging. Yeah. And Jude is also. Uh, been appropriated by many commentators as just obscure references seemingly out of nowhere, which which really they kind of do point to uh, uh, verse 6 mm -hmm. as one of those things when he begins to start talking about the angels in their proper domain yeah. of like yeah. just seemingly an obscure reference right. to something. But it's an obscure, and we'll get into that one here in just a second. But like, like let's, let's break it down real quick. First, we see the, the judgment of the Israelites in Exodus who refused to believe uh, even after seeing the truth. Like, yeah, the so Jews. you got Numbers 14, right. which is at Kadesh Barnea, mm -hmm. and you have God is wanting to wipe, wipe them out, and Moses stands in the gap and says no, and so then God goes the extra mile for the 10 negative spies to set an example, mm -hmm. and they are all killed by plague. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't a... Hey, you're not gonna. You're just not gonna get to go into the promised land. This is a judgment upon you. So, when he when he references this of God's judgment of the Israelites, it is a literal judgment of someone who who railed against and who did not believe the promises of God. Mm -hmm. Like that was a big deal. Like 
like they didn't just refuse to believe after seeing the truth. They refused to believe the promise of God. Mm. That was a covenantal mm -hmm. issue, which in those days meant death. Yeah. And so even with that in their, in their mind, they still come back and say, no, mm. we can't do it. Right. We can't take the land. It's just too overwhelming. But we know that the two came back and said, listen, it is overwhelming for us, but not for God. We are well able to take it because that's what God promised. Mm -hmm. And thereby we know the two spies, they didn't receive that judgment. Right. But the ten did. And it and it, if you need a reference to this other than Exodus, you can go to Psalm chapter 95, I think it's verse 10 and 11, where God lays that out of of what happened in that in that aspect of of the judgment that God brings. Yeah, absolutely. The second thing is the uh, God's judgment on angels, on angelic hosts who rebelled against him. And uh, you had mentioned this is like one of those like real obscure things, but also it's uh, it's uh, obscure. There's about 50,000 YouTube channels solely dedicated to <laughs> one word that we could speak right now. We could speak one Ugh. word of one name right. of a people group and electrify yeah, the internet. Exactly. That simply is just Enoch. Uh, <laughs> well, there's another one too about giant people. Yeah, who Nephilim. Had, yes. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But again, this could be a reference to Genesis six. It could um, be when he talks about the you know, and there's there's differences of opinion what sons of God in Genesis six means. Mm -hmm. uh, is it angelic and the the merging with humanity humanity and um, so there there are several different things that that you can say here, but one thing that Jude points out is there was judgment. Right. Again, he's he's layering out different aspects of judgment. Right. So it's not just, uh, hey, God's a, uh, a just God and he's going to judge. He's given them specific examples mm -hmm. according to what they have forgotten. Mm -hmm. Again, context. What did he say? You used to know these things. Right. And I'm going to remind you of these things. Right. And then the last one he referenced was uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, yep. who were so engrossed with sexual immorality that they they even try to attack the angelic hosts. They, yeah, and I think it's maybe Ezekiel 16 that lays out, because again, we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, we only look to the sexual immorality, but there were way more sins going on. That was one of them. Mm. But rejection of authority was another one. of. There were many different... They weren't taking care of the poor. Mm -hmm. They weren't taking care of the widows or the orphans. They were actually strengthening themselves right. by the degradation and the misappropriation of the widows and the orphans of the poor. Right. And so they were taking advantage of the poor. Uh, so there were many different ones, but we do know that that the the sexual immorality was one of the main ones. But it was not the only one. Right. Exactly. That's important. So these examples we see blatant denial of God. Um, even after his provision, uh, rebelling against his authority, and, and uh, just God's disgust for just blatant sin, mm -hmm. unashamed, unabashed uh, sin. And what I love With is... With no remorse. No remorse. That's a key word right yep. there. No remorse. No remorse. Yep. Um, he now... Here in a second, oh, Pastor, you're going to read this portion, and it's this is where it begins to overlap. We see Because it seems weird. Like, why would he just randomly throw out these three examples? It's because of what these individuals are doing. So, yep. Pastor, we could go ahead and read verse 8 for us. All right. Uh, verse 8. Likewise, again, likewise what? These examples I just gave mm -hmm. you. Likewise, also these dreamers, 
defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Okay, so this is where Jude links the things together. This is where the bridge takes place. This is what they're doing and how it overlaps with the previous examples. And he calls them dreamers. Now, I did some reading into this. This is interesting because either he's called them dreamers because they're so warped in this mindset, they're dreaming as if like it's like it's, you're living in a dream world if yep. you think this is over appropriate. Yeah, or, there's there's two or three different yeah. mindsets of what this means. Or it's a uh, they're acting or responding by either what they're calling prophetic dreams mm-hmm. or ill interpretation of dreams. Right. And so that's the reason why this vocabulary of dreamers taking place. Um, and that second aspect, it's really interesting to me because you and I have seen people who have had a prophetic dream or a prophetic word from somebody, and it was so left field that it has literally ruined lives. Mm-hmm. How do you, um, how can we um, protect ourselves from that? How can we really work to go, okay, this is something that's coming down and make sure we're, A, interpreting it correctly, or going, you know, sometimes a dream's just a dream. Yeah. How do, how, do we, how do you walk that out with somebody, and how do you do it with yourself personally? Yeah, for me personally, I'm not a big dreamer mm-hmm. um, at night. Um, it's not a Tanya now. She dreams almost every night. Mm-hmm. And for her, when she really feels like it's something from the Lord, she'll actually share it with me. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, she'll only share parts. Mm-hmm. Hey, I had a weird dream last night. Da, da da da. But if it's really something she senses from the Lord, she says, "Hey, I had a dream last night about pop 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 pop," and she'll explain the whole entire dream. Like, and then we'll just kind of talk about it. Like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, what might this mean? What might this mean? And then it gives me an opportunity with her to ask her questions that maybe she's not asking herself. Mm-hmm. So, like. Well, how would you attach this? Do you think this is about you? Do you think it's about someone else? Do you think this person that was in the dream, do you think it's specifically for them or were they just in the dream because you had a conversation with them yesterday? And we begin to talk that out. Yeah. Because if it's important enough for her to describe in detail, then it's important enough for me as as her husband and also as her pastor mm-hmm. to to take her the extra mile and walk with her and discuss it. God's not looking up going, oh, you're wasting time by discussing a dream for 30 minutes. No, no, no. If it's going to bring anxiety or fear to her or doubt or anything like that, it's worth that conversation for me to have just as her husband Mm -hmm. in a godly fashion. And so uh, I think for me, again, I I can't really relate to this big time. I'm more visionary. I I see visions when I'm awake. Um, So that's kind of the way that I... That's the lens that I go through. Mm-hmm. Um, mine is more visions uh, rather than dreams. But being married to a constant dreamer, <laughs> um, not in the sense of having a big dream for you know the church or the world or whatever, but simply just having dreams is just learning the process of what is from the Lord, what is just a dream, and what maybe is from the enemy yeah. of trying to attack in your sleep. And once you once you can hone in on that, then you go, okay, well, what does this mean? What do I do? You know, what's my next step? You know, what's important about this? But also not to get into condemnation. If God gives you a dream and you miss it and you don't understand it and you don't whatever, 
God's not going to pour judgment out from heaven because you weren't sure what it was. Right. Absolutely. I think that that some of that walking through some stuff, it it plays into dreams, but also visions and stuff like that because it, God does them both things. And, um, it is a matter of evaluating it, but I think an also important aspect is going, okay, how does my interpretation of this dream or this vision or this word line up with the scriptures? Line up with the scriptures, yeah. What does this say about the situation? That's right. And then plants. Again, there's some stuff that just is. Um, so let's, <laughs> we have a joke. I have a bad tendency to have dreams or visions of people when they get pregnant. It's, it's, it happens. I don't understand it. I've accurately pinpointed several people who have gotten pregnant. I've unfortunately also have known of some people who had miscarriages and it was revealed later. And, um, you're not gonna find that in the Bible says, Hey, you know, this is a dream stuff like that. But then there are times where I have a dream. I'm like, I was just playing a game where somebody was pregnant. That's what that was. Yeah. 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 You know, it's being understanding of what's taking place in the everyday world. Yeah. Cause a lot of times dreams are not disassociation, but association. Mm-hmm. They're associated with something, someone, something that was recent, something that meant something. I mean, it's all associated in some way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what we watch and take in then will manifest itself in many different ways, which is another reason why it's so important for us to protect our minds and our hearts from so, what we listen to and what we what we watch. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want a great night's sleep, you know, watching Die Hard 11 o'clock at night <laughs> may not be a good thing. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know. I don't care if it is a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, man. yeah, right. <laughs> It's like, it's probably not a good idea to right. do that, you know, and because it is going to affect your pattern right. over the night because you've taken that in. So there is something to that for yeah, sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, continue on this road. All right. Verse nine and 10. Yet Michael, here we go. <laughs> Michael, the archangel, and notice archangel is not in plural, mm-hmm. singular. In contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling acquisition, but said, the Lord rebuke you. That's a huge phrase right there. Dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. And this may seem like Jude is like going totally off script, but it is totally going back to something he's already said about other people and what they weren't doing. Mm-hmm. Dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like Bruce be- brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Okay, so this is one of those where people are like, man, that's an obscured reference, but it's not a necessarily one. It's one that if again, he's talking to a very Jewish audience in very early Christendom, so they would get some of these references, but this is a uh, possibly callback to a, a mostly lost book called The Assumption of... Moses, which is a apocryphal uh, type of book, uh, origin, one of the early um, theologians, Christian scholars, uh, he talks about this. And again, we have very, very little passages of this. Yeah. And and they're not even dated back very far. Some of them are actually in in Greek and Latin rather than Hebrew. And we can get into some of this conversation about uh, canon here in a little bit, but that's what he's referring to. Is but they are historical documents. They're historical documents, yep. correct. Yep. Uh, of some fashion. There's stuff that the people would have read at the time. They would have known these stories. Rabbis would have talked about some of this stuff. And so, but it's interesting, this whole situation. The idea is that even though Michael is in, has, is in, an er- is in the right, uh, he would not slander the former member of the angelic host, Satan. Yep. Uh, but 
rely on the sovereign authority of God to handle the dispute. Michael is close to the situation, and he understands more than these heretics would ever understand. Yet these heretics are the ones that are speaking evil against things they barely have a base understanding of. Yeah, and I think here, if the devil has an opposite, it's not God. Right. It's Michael. Mm-hmm. Created beings, angelic beings. Sometimes right. we put God and the devil. Oh, yeah. Equitable. And yeah, they're yeah. not. No. If you need an opposite of the devil, it's probably the archangel. Not Singular. Plural. <laughs> Singular. Again, people get in so many weird trains of thought and belief. Just right. some crazy stuff. He is a created being. And then we have the obscure reference by Jude to the body of Moses. Mm. Now, there are many many different thought processes on this. And mm-hmm. we don't really know why there was a dispute over the body of Moses. But here's what we do know. That after his death, Moses appears with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. Mm-hmm. We also know that quite possibly it's Moses and Elijah as the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. Mm-hmm. So knowing that, would it have been that God's God needed Moses' body for the future plan. Now, that gets pretty wild. Yeah. yeah. But, again, what we do know after his death Mm -hmm. is that he appeared with Elijah at the Mount of Transfiguration and quite possibly is is one of the two Mm -hmm. witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. So we're not quite sure. Right. But, again, it's one of those things where... It's not necessarily, Jude is not necessarily making this main point why Michael was disputed. Mm -hmm. I think Jude's focus is how Jude, uh, how uh, Michael disputed with the devil. Right. Not why there was a dispute. Right. But how he disputed, which was the Lord rebuke you. Because in context, that goes back to his point that these other people are not even they're they're they are not respectful they are not there's no good in them mm-hmm. that these heretics they're speaking evil against all these things where michael would not even bring accusation against the devil himself mm-hmm. and so it does go back to his point it's not just some obscure thing right but again i don't think his focus is hey why did he didn't I don't think Jude was wanting to create a conversation all these years later that people would contend and argue about why is it Moses' body? Why are they doing this? Right. It was more about how Michael disputed, which was the Lord rebuke you, which also takes away the whole heretical teaching that Michael was Jesus. Yes, 100%. Because he's saying, the Lord rebuke, rebuke you. you. <laughs> that That removes... That whole thought process right. that Michael and Jesus are the same, right? And you said this: Michael didn't mock, he didn't accuse the devil, he didn't bring accusation against the devil. And so, how much more should these certain men not speak evil of dignitaries? Yeah. Now, I'll say this: is at at a level to it, the argumentation over Moses' body was in part, according to that passage, um, that the fragments of that passage that we have is over. Um, the ownership of the body because of Moses' deeds. Satan's uh, view was, well, he killed an, an innocent man, so therefore he's evil, he's mine. 
Whereas Michael goes, but he's a righteous man. Look at all what he's done. Look how God's grace has been there for him. Look what he's done for God. Look at the fruit of his life, which kind of adds into that conversation because these guys are saying, look, it doesn't matter what you've done. It's open for whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter how you live your life, period. And he's going, no. Michael's arguing for the sake of Moses because of his righteousness towards God. Yeah, there's a whole other train of thought that says that the devil needed Moses's body because he wanted to set up Moses as a god before the Jewish people. Wow. So that they would worship Moses as this sentient being rather than the coming. Wow. I not heard that one. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. It gets yeah. almost the almost <laughs> the um uh almost the image mm-hmm. uh going all the way back to the Exodus. Right. Uh, to worship the image. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Man. There's so much that people get lost in in this book. And That's right. Not pay, and I like the fact that you go, look, this is the point. Because we can go down these rabbit holes, we can speculate, we can talk about a lot of things if we want to. But what's the point? The point really is simply, let the Lord handle things. Yeah, and the archangel himself did not even bring accusation against the devil himself. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> man, you want to talk about a drop, drop in the mic moment. Yeah. Like, it's just like, Done. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy. Well, let's keep rocking and rolling. All right. Verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Okay. So, again, this is another one of those sets of three that uh, Jude does. And um, this is a reference to uh, describing these individuals. The way of Cain. Uh, this is talking about Cain from um, the brother of Abel. And uh, he... His whole thing was that it was works without faith. Yep. And then you have the era of Balaam, which was a, a group of people that were motivated by greed that led some of God's people astray, and God had judgment on them also. Yep. In the rebellion of Korah, Korah was one of the, um, oh, my brain just stopped functioning. Was he a Levite? Or yes. He was a but Levite. But not from the priesthood of Aaron. Right. And But he was rebelling against Moses and was like, I could do this better than you, Moses. And there was a whole rebellion that took place. And again, there was a massive removal of them because it yep. wasn't a matter of genuine concern for the people. It was, this is mine. I'm yep. going to do this. Yep. And the fact that he was a Levite brought forth an even stronger level of judgment mm-hmm. against him. Mm-hmm. Again, he wasn't of the lineage of Aaron, but he still was a, he still was a Levite. So in that... Again, there's always that extra layer of accountability all throughout the Word of God mm-hmm. for those who were called, for those that were appointed. Mm-hmm. Um, those who minister. That's right. So crazy. All right, 12 and 13? Yes, sir. All right. These are spots in your love feast. That's an important phrase right there because it, it's not just, hey, here's the cup and here's the bread. I mean, love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, their clouds without water carried about by the winds, Late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulling up the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. You can feel Jude's righteous frustration and anger towards this group of individuals and what they're doing in the body in this very poetic description of who they are and what they're yeah doing. he almost goes poe on them oh yeah it's <laughs> a good way of putting it he really it. does he almost goes edgar Allan poe on them yeah man. it's like it's like okay if you need um if you need uh some if you need an illustration 
if you need uh, some descriptive terminology, yeah, here you go. Yeah. I had to write this down because I, as I w- walk through this, and basically he's calling them a blemish on their community, yep. selfish, unable to truly help the body, fruitless individuals, yep. restless, and unable to guide anybody to the truth. Yep, that's who these people are. Yep, this is what they're dealing with on a regular on, in this situation, and these are people that have crept in to the body. And again, unnoticed, which Jude has really rebuked the believers. Mm-hmm. for not noticing. Exactly. That would be the reason why he put that word in there. It's not that they've just crept in. Mm-hmm. They crept in unnoticed. Right. You guys were not paying attention mm-hmm. to what was happening. Exactly. So he's not just rebuking the ones who are doing it. He's actually rebuking the believers for not noticing it. Right, right. All right, 14 to 16? Yes, sir. All right, we're landing the plane. Now Enoch... And the internet goes crazy. <laughs> the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them all, uh, their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Okay. Um, we need a discuss this conversation real quick just briefly <laughs> enoch when the name enoch is mentioned you always hear um <laughs> it's because it's one of those hot button topics you got to go through and that's right i want i want to preface this enoch people go to the book of enoch first off understand there are three enochs uh there was there's first enoch which is the one that is probably the most credible thing that's out there it's one that uh the scholars that jesus is, or the jews talk to actually probably read Respected by scholars. Respected by scholars. That's right. And it was a it was uh, probably two three hundred years before Jesus' birth during the intertestamental period, and it was a series of writings um, that were supposedly about what Enoch saw and and encountered uh, during his life and into heaven. Um, and there's a lot of interesting stuff that takes place there. Second and third Enoch, we don't have enough proof to show anything pre Christ. It's all post-Christ type of stuff. Second Enoch is actually more of a retelling of First Enoch with some uh, flourishes in it, some extra stuff added into it. And Third Enoch was actually, uh, even a lot of rabbinic writers, they don't recognize it as Third Enoch because it's done by a rabbi uh, separately. But the whole conversation here uh, that's taking place, um, people go wild because this is where they get the conversation with the Nephilim. Yep. It's where you get all these other things taking place. I want to make sure this is understood. Quotation does not mean endorsement of, of canonization. Yep. He is quoting a scholar that they understood, that they that they read, they would know. Uh, according to Hebraic understanding, they didn't accept anything that was to canon of the Old Testament that wasn't necessarily in Hebrew. And there is no Hebrew Enoch. We have maybe an Aramaic and some fragments of some fragments of Aramaic, but nothing in Hebrew. In the general consensus, it's an interesting historical conversation, but it's not canon, period. Now, this prophecy you're speaking of, though, this is a pretty, this is one that's echoed several times about God's judgment against people yep. uh, who rebel against him. And then specifically, uh, the, these people that he's talking about goes on in verse 16. It says this, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and their, uh, they mouth great swelling words, Flattering people to gain advantage. And basically, he's describing the, the judgment against these people 
these are the people that um, uh, I have it written down here. Uh, describing these individuals as people who are always looking for something wrong to complain about. They are unashamedly living by their passions, use big words to elevate themselves, and then they manipulate situations through flattery. Mm. And this is the condemnation. This is the, these are the people that God condemns, and he's come down. And in, again, this was a popular writing that these early Jews read, and they were like, hey, I remember reading about God having condemnation against this type of people. And that's what's taking place. Now, when you read that list, though, Pastor, some of these things you're reading, it's not hard for some people to go, you know what, I might have done that a time or two. Sure. I might have been guilty of using flattery to try to get my way through something. Um, I might have, you know, I've had a time frame where I lived by my own passions. I've had a time frame where I might have, you know, elevated myself by trying to talk a little higher educated than what some may be. Is there hope for people like that? When you, when, you, when you read that list, if you're convicted by that list, are you condemned or is that just conviction? No, if you're convicted by that list, I mean, that's probably a good thing because the, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. Mm -hmm. the, the landing place for us in this is everything that he has said about these people up to that point, mm -hmm. not just this part. Mm -hmm. It's everything he said. These people have crept in unnoticed. Without saying it, he's saying they're heretics. Right. They, you know, if 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 you go back, they were marked out ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness mm. and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That's where I think people forget that, man, this word heretic is thrown out so much. Mm. The word blasphemy is thrown out so much. And many times what people are saying is not heretical mm. and it's not blasphemous. Mm -hmm. To be a heretic, you are denying the lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. You are denying him. Right. You are, and it says it clearly, you uh, turn the grace of our God. And Hebrews talks about this too, about trampling the blood of Jesus. It's, it's spoken of about that. Paul deals with it on those who have made the cross of no effect talks about, no, that, that's the power of God unto salvation. It's like, like people who deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he says, Hey, they're grumblers and they're complainers, he's adding on to what he's already said, mm -hmm. but they are deniers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Which puts them in a totally different category than someone who loves the Lord, who, who, who walks out the disciplines of the faith, not perfect, being sanctified uh, by the Holy Spirit in their life. But, okay, man, there are seasons in my life where I get down a bit and maybe I am looking for the wrong and I complain a little bit. But do I love Jesus? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do I deny the Lordship of Jesus? No way. I will never deny the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, they, they live by their passions. Are there some things that my flesh wants to do at times? Absolutely. Are there sometimes my flesh wants to do something that appears to be good, which is like help people, but my motivation behind it is that they would depend upon me and then I would have my codependence on their dependence on me? Mm. Like the motivation is wrong, but the action is good. Right. So, but I don't deny Jesus. Um, again, I think that, you know, a lot of these things like manipulate uh, situations through flattery. Uh, we could probably line up a group of 20 people in this room 
and go, hey, have you ever flattered somebody to get something? And they would probably have to acknowledge, yes. Yeah. I have. Mm-hmm. Disingenuously, I didn't necessarily think that about that person, but it could get me to this step, and so I did that. Right. Do you hate Jesus? Do you deny Jesus? No. Do you deny that he's he was born of a virgin? No. Do you, like, again, we read these lists sometimes, and all of a sudden condemnation comes. Right. But the very fact that we're feeling the conviction and responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit tells us that we have not turned our heart over to Satan and we have not denied Jesus. That's good. That's good. I, I bring that question up specifically because I feel like there are some people that they go to the, the scriptures and they hear or they read about God judging certain things and their brain just shuts off to the fact that there is grace for themselves. Yeah. God does love them. He's not kicking them out. and what we're dealing with in Jude are people who have flat out, like you said, denied Jesus to the nth degree. Yeah, and that's not presupposition. That is, he literally says it. Exactly. At the very first of that. And I also think that he is warning the believers mm-hmm. that if you guys aren't careful mm-hmm. and you begin to listen to these people, right, that same door that they walk through, you can very well walk through that door. Absolutely. And so he's giving it as a warning to them as well, not just recognize these people and stay away from these people and don't receive what they got to say, but don't dare open a door to that type of thing because you may end up where they're at. Exactly. And, and that specifically, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about next week and next week's episode of Midweek Move is continue with the last half of the book of Jude. And but we want to hear that one you. may be a quicker one. It may be a little bit quicker. <laughs> <laughs> it may be. We'll find out. <laughs> but we want to hear from you guys. How has this challenged you? How can we pray with you? Reach out to us, MediaHub at thbshreport.com or find our Facebook page, Midweek Move. And let us know how we can pray with you and encourage you. And if we have if you have questions, let us know. We'll try to answer them. Uh, if it's about the book of Enoch, I'm probably gonna send them to the pastor. And, uh, and they'll send them back to me and tell me to answer it myself. So <laughs> <laughs> don't send them to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, have a great week.